next Sunday, we will receive new members into our church. You've had the announcement. It's before you today. Just encourage you to recognize how important that is. And especially, it's important to be baptized. If you've never been baptized by immersion, I get this question all the time. If I've not been baptized by immersion, do I need to be baptized again? My opinion, yes, you do, because you haven't been baptized. I don't mean to make this a doctrinaire situation, but the real baptism of the Scriptures is immersion. By immersion, I mean you go down under the water and you come back up. Because that's the one thing that symbolizes the resurrection experience that we have when we have been moved from death to life in Jesus Christ. So if you want to be baptized next Sunday, make sure the office knows that you're on the list. doesn't matter if you were baptized before. Some people want to be baptized again even though they were baptized by immersion. That's all right, too. But uh, I hope that if you have not been baptized, you will choose to do so next Sunday. And if you are in our fellowship, we strongly encourage you become a member of our church, and we'll welcome you here. <laughs> a few months ago, maybe as long as a year ago, I had some folks start saying to me, Pastor, you ought to preach some of the sermons that you preached before and preach them as classic sermons, and they could always name one of their favorites to me, usually they would. And I started thinking about that, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought it was a good idea. And I've done it a couple of times up to now, and I always tell you when I come. And so I'm preaching this morning what I would call another in the series of classic messages that I've preached in this church before. The last time I preached this, and the only time I've ever, ever preached this, was here in our church on August the 17th of 2015. And the title of the message then and the title of the message now is, Somebody Prayed. I don't think that any one, one sermon title has been quoted to me, anyone that I've preached has been quoted to me, as much as this one. More people seem to remember the name of this and quote it by name to me. A lot of times they'll say, you know, remember when you preached on this about this and about that, and I never know what they're talking about. Well, almost never. <laughs> but this is one that people remembered by name, and I've had several people mention it to me. I'm not preaching this message because of that. I I've been thinking about this ever since I was in Spain, going over it in my mind, wondering if I could find it on our website, and I did find it. And, in fact, I listened to it. And I was, and I say this humbly, but I was greatly blessed by listening to it. I listened to this message, and, I, and for about half of it, I had tears in my eyes, and I was crying, because it made me remember what God has done. And I want to share that with you this morning, with your permission, this message that I've called, Somebody Prayed. Father, I ask the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon words that are spoken today doesn't matter how many times the words have been said, how many times the thoughts have been presented, how much the same truth has been declared. It does not nullify your anointing nor the possibility of your power moving in the spoken word. I believe that you will do that today, and I give you glory and honor because of it. And I pray that right now that anointing will increase as I begin to speak these words from your precious revelation of truth. And I do it today for your glory and to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I want to be sure you have not forgotten. How many of you have them? Lift them up. The Word of God prevails. Hallelujah. And it ought to be lifted up in every way. Amen. God bless you for bringing your Bible with you today. In James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, there's a fantastic, powerful message about a man of God. I want you to turn there with me if you'd like to follow the Scriptures or just listen carefully to this presentation of the Scriptures that talks about the prophet Elijah. James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. When the scripture says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, it means that he had the same physical, mental, and spiritual limitations and shortcomings that we have. He was a person, a human being, just like we are. But it says that in his life, prayer prevailed. There came a time when God was leading him in prayer for this specific thing, that God wanted to bring judgment upon Israel. And he led Elijah into the compartment of prayer. And Elijah prayed as God directed him that it would not rain on the earth for three and a half years, three years and six months. And the Bible says for that long... As, as Elijah prayed for that long, it did not rain. And then God directed him to pray again, and when he prayed again, he prayed that the rain would return. When he did, the rain was poured out upon the earth, and the earth bore its fruit. This passage is talking about the wonderful power of prayer. But prayer never works unless somebody prays. Prayer is a theory. A program, a presentation, a doctrine, if you will, until somebody does it. But when you begin to actually pray, prayer is a power. Prayer is dynamic. Prayer is miraculous. Prayer is unlimited. But only when you pray. It isn't just an idea for us to hear about. It is a plan for us to put into practice. It ought to be a part of our daily lives. And we ought to pray consistently, fervently, earnestly, as the Bible says Elijah did, until the answer that we're seeking from God comes. I don't know how long Elijah spent in prayer asking God to hold rain back from the earth. The scripture doesn't tell us. But it was probably quite a while. Most of the time, prayer that hasn't already been prayed and had the answer given by faith takes a long time to get there. So he may have prayed a year, two years, three years, four years, I don't know. But he earnestly prayed that the judgment of God would prevail and that God would use him to let this be known as his mouthpiece, as God's mouthpiece, that it would not rain on the earth. And, and God had designated it to him. He had no other reason to think that he wanted to ask God to do it for three and a half years, but that's what he did. 
So I'm sure that God had spoken to him about that, to pray that that would happen. And then God gave him the release to proclaim that this was true, that the rain would cease. So Elijah, a man who had never been heard of, is first introduced in the Scriptures in the 17th chapter of 1 Kings. And all I'll be talking about now is in chapter 17, 18, 19 of 1 Kings for the next few minutes. So Elijah appeared on the scene before King Ahab of Israel. Ahab was one of the most wicked kings that Israel ever had. A vile, godless, contemptuous, horrible person. But he was the king of Israel and had all the authority that was with that. So it was to King Ahab that Elijah went to proclaim his message. He comes and speaks to the king, and he tells the king, He's, this is a man now the king doesn't know, has never heard of. He doesn't have a reputation as a prophet. He's not well known as someone who speaks the truth. He has no credentials, nothing to back him up, except the power of God and the power of prayer. So he walks into the presence of King Ahab, and he says, King Ahab, except that my word, and listen, in other words, until I give the release, until I say the word, it will not rain in Israel again. You won't see rain. You won't see a drop of rain. You won't see moisture on the grass. It's going to dry up and be as dry as anything can possibly be until I speak the word for rain to come again. And so Ahab kind of mocks him and doesn't think much of it, but Elijah leaves. God knows what's going to happen now. As soon as they become aware that the rain is not falling as it has and the place begins to get dry, Ahab's going to remember what Elijah said to him. And the first thing Ahab is going to do, which he did, was to go try to find Elijah to force him to change his mind and speak the words that would, be rain to, that would bring rain to Israel again. But you know what God did? God prepared Elijah in advance, told him where to go, and hid him from the searchings of the king, who had a whole army, and I'm sure secret police, to go out all over the land and try to find this man Elijah, the Tishbite. They couldn't find him. It wasn't that he was in such a great secret place. It wasn't that he was in a vault somewhere. He wasn't locked up in a tower anywhere. God just told him where to go, where Ahab and his minions would never look. He told him to go over and camp by the brook Kirith. And you stay there, Elijah. That's where I'm going to send you. You stay and be safe. You'll be all right. I'll take care of you. I'll send you bread by the ravens in the morning, or uh, bread and, and, and meat by the ravens in the morning, and you'll get water from the brook. So you stay here under my provisions. And that's exactly what Elijah did. Now, time had begun to pass. Three and a half years is going to pass now from the time Elijah speaks his word to the time he comes back on the scene and the rain returns. What happens in that time is that God takes Elijah and, and, and puts him under his plan of protection. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to take care of you. King Ahab cannot harm you because I'm going to put you in a place he can't find you. Did you know that when you're under the protection of God, there's no way that the enemy can destroy you? He cannot annihilate you. He cannot debilitate you. He cannot push you down to less than nothing where he wants to put you. Because when God provides for you, when God protects you, he's got a hand over you that the devil cannot get through. 
the best place you can ever be is in the is in the closet of prayer, having God speak to you and say, I will provide for you. And when God says he'll provide, you're going to get all that you ever need. You're going to have all the meat that you need, all the bread that you need, all the water that you need. I say that because that's what God sent to Elijah to look after him and take care of him during this time that he was under the provision, under the covering of the Lord, so that nobody could come and disturb his peace. Elijah stayed there with God providing for him day after day after day after day. And then a time came when the brook Kirith started to dry up because there was no rain falling in the land. God could have performed a miracle and had the water keep flowing in the brook, but he didn't. He let it dry up, and as it was drying up, he said to Elijah, I want you to get up and move and go somewhere else. Now, I want to say this very carefully, lest I look like a proselyting pastor. When you are somewhere that God has put you, and you're under God's provision, God's put you somewhere, and he's put his hand on you, and you decided, I don't like this place anymore. So I'm going to find me a better place. I'm going to move on and find me a better place. I hate this job. And so you, I started to quote an old country song. <laughs> so I, I'm not going to stay in this job anymore. I'm leaving this job. So people say, well, I, I, I'm just going to, hey, this marriage isn't working out. Too bad, so long. It's really good to know you. I'm not saying there are sometimes that divorce is necessary. Please don't anybody think that I am saying that, that there, there are times in the compassion of God that he spares you from many things, and I fully recognize that. I'm talking about people who just willfully decide to do something that's not God's will. And they do that in the church. Well, I've heard all the songs they sing in this church. They don't have any new ones. I don't know that anybody said that. I just made it up. But they find some kind of something. I don't like the way the ushers dress. And I could put up with that, but I don't like the way the pastor dresses either. And besides that, I heard there's somebody in our church that doesn't like me. Probably you're right there. And so, and so I'm just going to pick up and move on. And this is what I want to tell you, my friends. When you do that, when you move out of where God puts you, you move out of under the provisions of God. You're not under God's provisions anymore. You're not under God's protection anymore. You're not under God's hand anymore. When you decide where you ought to camp, and you look after yourself, but when you decide to camp where God puts you, where God wants you to be, He'll look after you 24 hours a day. So God provided, and here's what, here's what God did. So I just really love God's sense of humor. God told Elijah to get up and move. And now when God puts you somewhere, and you move before God tells you to move, you're out of God's will. And when you think God's told you to move, you better check it three times to be sure. So when you move out of God's will, you move away from God's plan and provision for you. But this is what God does do. When it's time to move, he speaks very clearly to your heart, specifically to you, so that when you make a move in your life, you're not doing with you're not doing it with rancor, 
You're not doing it with disgust toward others. You're not doing it because of offenses. You're not doing it because you don't like the way things are done and they ought to be done the way you think they ought to be done. You never That's never a basis for making a change in your life as you walk with God to do His will. That's never a basis for it. Most people make changes of significance in their lives in the, re- in the spiritual realm. And I'm talking about being in a church now. They do that based on offenses and not on the will of God. God's never going to tell you to get up somewhere and go somewhere because you don't like the person that tries to sit down beside you every Sunday. He might tell you to move somewhere, but he's not going to do that. He's not going to let you get mad at somebody and say, well, that's my sign to move on. No, that's your sign to get spiritual and get right with God and do what God wants you to do. That's what that's the sign of. I'm saying all this out of love. I'm, I'm not trying to criticize people. It's not my intention to bring judgment on you. I'm trying to help you, and I want to do that. So here's what God did. And this is what God does. God spoke to Elijah. He said, now, it's time for you to leave. There's no more water in the brook. I'm not going to send the ravens anymore. I want you to go. There's a widow who lives over in Zarephath. That was in Gentile land. I want you to go over there, and she'll provide for you. I've told her. I spoke to her in advance. She'll provide for you. So Elijah gets up like the prophet of God. He walks on over there, finally gets to Zarephath, and he finds the home of this widow, and he sees the widow preparing to make a little cake of food. And Elijah's hungry. He's also a man of God, and he knows God's plan. And he walks up there and hails the woman, and she says, Welcome, hello, and all that greeting type of thing. And then... Elijah said, I see you're getting ready to make some food. She said, yes. And he said, well, I'm, I'm very hungry myself. I'd like for you to make me a cake, too. And she said, well, we don't have enough. All we've got is enough for me and my son just to eat one more meal. And then we'll have, we don't know what's going to happen after that. We'll just have to give up and die. So I don't have one for you. Elijah said, boldly, audaciously, make me a little cake first. Not only do I want some of it, I want the first part. So when I said I like God's sense of humor sometimes. And so the woman, now remember, the Bible says that he had already told this woman that Elijah was coming. She, was, she could be ready to obey God or ready to disobey him. She chose to be ready to obey him when she realized this was the man that God was sending as, as out of order as his request seemed to be. Beyond the request, it actually was a demand, make me a little cake first. She decided this is the man of God and I will do it. So God told Elijah to move. Remember now, Ahab is still looking for him all over the countryside, trying to find him so he can either make him recant on his policy or kill him. So Ahab and all of his helpers are looking for him. He's over here in this Gentile land with the widow of Zarephath, telling her he needs some food because the ravens aren't bringing it to him anymore. And now this has become God's provision for him. Not what was happening out by the brook, but now another way God is providing for him. And God will always provide, my friends. God will always provide. But you trust God and believe God and walk in His will and fulfill His purpose, God will always provide for you as He did for Elijah. And the wonderful thing is the woman decided to obey. She said, all right, I'll just give you what we have left. So she made him a little cake with her oil and meal and all that she had, and gave it to him, and she looked back down in her barrel of meal, and behold, she couldn't see the bottom of it anymore. There was meal in the barrel. And she said, wow, this is tremendous. 
just to make sure I'm not seeing things, let me check my oil cruise over here and see what's in there. And she looked, and the oil was no longer, the, oil, the cruise that held oil was no longer empty. It had oil in it. So she made food for, her, for herself and her son. And thereafter, as long as Elijah was there, there was always meal in the barrel, always oil in the cruise. There was a provision. There was a supply. Because God always provides. He never says do something that he doesn't provide the way to do it. He'll give you the strength that you need when you're weak. He'll give you the food that you need when you're hungry. He'll give you the water that you need when you're thirsty. Because God is a protector and God is a provider. And then the time came when she really recognized that that uh, Elijah was a man of God. Her son died. And God used Elijah to bring him back to life. And she recognized that here's a, here's a vital man of God, purposeful prophet of God. And she acknowledged him as such. Now, this was great for the widow. It was great for Elijah, great for the widow's family, great for the testimony of the power of God. And now, God speaks to Elijah about doing something else. He says, I want you now to go back to Ahab and tell him that the drought is over and there's a sound of abundance of rain in the land. The rain is going to start to fall again. So he goes and appears before Elijah. And, and keep in mind now that Elijah is this, is this somebody who prayed. He is this man, this somebody who prayed. He didn't take that lightly when God sent him there. The Bible says he prayed earnestly that it would rain again after three and a half years. I think that prayer started when God told him to go over there. After many days, the Bible says, first verse of chapter 18 of 1 Kings, after many days, Elijah got up. I don't know how long he waited, but it was many days. He got up and went to Ahab. And he told Ahab, the rain's coming again. Now, there was a denial of God throughout all the land. And, 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 and Elijah presented a challenge to Ahab. If you don't believe this, let's find out who's willing to serve the Lord and who wants to serve the pagan gods. So he presented a challenge to him. That's when Mount Carmel occurred. The experience on Mount Carmel and all the prophets of Baal came up and they were all killed and Elijah called down the fire from heaven. And I'll make only one comment on that because you should know all about that sequence. I preached on it at other times here. But when, when Elijah got to the place that he was ready to make this pronouncement and he got ready to make this challenge, the prophets of Baal went out and they just prayed and cried out all day, all night. They cut themselves and bled and trying to prevail on their God Baal to burn up the meat offerings by fire to prove that he was God. Nothing ever happened. Then Elijah took over, and Elijah prayed just a few words of prayer. You can read it in the Scriptures. He just said a few words. God proved the true who you are. He sent the fire to prove it, and the, my paraphrase on it, and, and, and let your power be shown. And, when, and Elijah said that. That was a zap of lightning and a falling of fire that burned up all the meat that had been cut up and put on the altars, sapped up and evaporated the water that had been poured on it, and proved to the ex acceptance of all the people there that the Lord is the God of Israel. 
And they began to cry out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord is God. Jehovah is God. They recognized it because of that great sign that he did. I point this out to you to say that the, when Elijah prayed for the fire to come, he just said a few words. But he had been praying for many days. First, First Kings 18.1. He had been praying for many days. And in that many days, he had been crying out. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. It's going to take a miracle now. Maybe this rain didn't stop because I said it would. Maybe this rain didn't stop. I thought it was God, but it wasn't really. Now if I go back and say, I've, I won one time. It didn't rain when I said it wouldn't. Now if I go back and I say it's going to rain and it doesn't, then what kind of credibility do I have? How do I know Elijah thought like that? Because he's a man like you and I are. He was a person, I should say. Let me be politically correct. He was a person like you and I. An individual just like you and I. With all the same limitations, the same reservations, the same concerns, the same doubts. That's what the Bible says about him, fifth chapter of James. That's the kind of person he was, just like we are. So when it came up to time to change that turn about and have called water down on the land for it to rain again, Elijah had concerns. Will God change this and send the rain? And he prayed, he prayed. But God led him and he obeyed. And he went to the king and he told him. And then he said after that experience on Mount Carmel, he said, you better find yourself to get in a good place. The rain is coming. But then what did Elijah do? He went up on the top of Mount Carmel where he had a servant with him and he could look out over the sea. And as he looked out over the sea, Elijah told his servant to go and see if you see any sign of rain. And he came back and said no. And he sent him seven times. Faith holds on. Faith doesn't quit. Faith doesn't give up. Prayer prevails when we use faith. When we don't quit and don't give up, prayer prevails. So, so finally on the seventh time, the servant came back and he said, I see a little cloud arising out yonder in the sea. It's about, it's about like a man's hand. Very small, but I see it coming up from the sea. Elijah jumped up and said, there's a sound of abundance of rain. Let's go warn Ahab. You better get out of the storm because it's coming. Get in a dry place because it's about to rain. And the Bible says then the rain came and a storm occurred. The sky blackened and the rain started to fall. And it started falling copious amounts everywhere. So much so the ground couldn't absorb it all at the same time. The king was trying to get home to Jezreel to his palace, and Elijah, under the Spirit of God, outran him and got there first. God starts moving, you'll get moving. When God puts something on you and God's doing something, he'll cause you to get moving along with him. And so when all of this happened, it was all because Elijah prayed. And that's why James is so important. James, who said Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, of the same physical, mental, and spiritual limitations and shortcomings. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. That's because a man prayed for Israel. Somebody prayed. I've thought back over times in my life when... Prayer made a significant difference for me in my life. And not always because I was praying. Sometimes because somebody was praying for me. And, and as I've, I've dwelt on this a lot of times, a lot of times in my, my own 
private times before the Lord, thought back how things could have been different except for prayer and except for God answering prayer. So I'm going to tell you a couple of things that illustrate this for me, that somebody prayed. I finished college early, received a bachelor's degree and a teacher's certificate along with that, allowing me to teach high school in the state of North Carolina. I received that degree at the East Carolina University in Greenville, South Carolina, and I finished early. I got all my classwork done about a half a year early, quarter or semester early, and I had a few months. My class was still going to school, but I had finished all my courses, and I had gone to summer school a couple of times, and so I finished earlier, and uh, when I finished school, it's kind of, it's, it's a, a, always made me wonder, because when I was in school, I got a few invitations to preach here and there on weekends, but once I finished school, it seemed like everybody wanted me to preach, they invited me to come. But I took a job, not knowing all of that was going to happen, I took a job with a high school in Aden, spelled just like my granddaughter's name, A-Y-D-E-N, in Aden, North Carolina. I went to teach in that high school. The reason there was a vacancy in the middle of the year because they had a one-year teacher, first-year teacher in there who couldn't handle the class. They ran her out of town, basically what that class did. <laughs> and she left, and they had to have somebody to fill in for them for the rest of the year, so they hired me. And I went in and took over the class and had a success, I guess, because at the end of the school year, the principal approached me and wanted to give me a contract to teach there the following year. Well, I had never made any money to speak of in my life. I'd had odd jobs during school, and, and I had worked during summers to teach school compared to some of the other things that I've told you about that I did between school years, like loading ammunition boxes and things like that. To teach school was a big step up for me. I was glad to get that contract. So I got it and went out and bought a car, and, and then all of a sudden, people started inviting me to come to preach, and after I preached one, somebody would be calling for the next week. And so I, I, I was teaching school in the daytime. I was traveling to where I was preaching at night. After the service, I'd drive back home to Goldsboro, where my family lived. And then I would leave there early in the morning to get back to Aden to teach school the next day. So I was in a, in a cycle. Get up in the morning in Goldsboro, go to Aden to teach school, leave Aden and go to wherever I was preaching somewhere, wherever it was. Go and preach that night after the service that night drive home, do the same thing. And I was doing that week after week. And on, and on into the summer now, I went to a little place that called me for a revival. I went to a little town in North Carolina called Clinton. Doesn't have anything to do with people you know and think about when you hear that word. It's just a town. Don't blame the town for anything else. So, so the, so the, so I was in this little Pentecostal holiness church in Clinton having a youth revival. And we decided, the young people decided, and goaded me into it, let's have an all-night prayer meeting. So I said, yeah, let's have an all-night prayer meeting. The pastor said, well, yeah, you know, I don't believe you'll, you'll need to stay up all night to keep God awake. He'll be awake anyway, and I don't need to be a part of that. So I'll just go on home and go to bed, and I'll see if everything's all right in the morning. And that's what he did. But we went on praying through the night. So... I don't say you have to do that. We were just dedicated. We were young people excited about things of God, excited about revival, and God was moving. And so through the night, somewhere during that night, I heard God speak to me. And, I, and you know I say this carefully. It, it concerns me when God speaks to me. 
Because truthfully, if I recognize that God is speaking to me when he does, it puts me on the spot. It means I've got to do something. Most of the time, I, I will confess to you, a lot of the time, I'd rather be left alone. If God doesn't tell me to do anything, I don't have to do much other than what I know I've got to do. But when he comes and says something specific to me, this is what I want you to do, then there I am. I wish I hadn't prayed. I don't really mean that, but I'm just looking at it in the natural. What if I hadn't prayed, I wouldn't be in this predicament. But I did. I was praying in Clinton, North Carolina. And God spoke to me that night in the all-night prayer meeting, and he told me he wanted me to preach full-time. I wasn't supposed to be teaching school. Well, you know, back in those days, it was a good thing. The reason preachers got something they could do on the side, got an electrical license or plumber's license or teacher's certificate or whatever, so they'd have something to make enough income to live on. You know, back in those days, preachers didn't drive Bentleys or Mercedes or, or Lexus or stuff like that. They didn't do that. You know, they were glad if they could drive a Ford that could have to be black. So, so <laughs> I'm, not, I'm thinking about that car that I bought. I just referred to a few minutes ago. It was charcoal and white. You didn't want to buy red cars. Preachers didn't want to buy red cars in those days. No. You didn't want to do that because a lot of attention to yourself. So anyway, what was I talking about? <laughs> so God spoke to me and told me he wanted me to preach full time. And I, so, so what can I do? I'm called to preach. I've been declaring it for years. I've been saying it was true for years ever since I started in school. Because, so now I've got to go start preaching. Well, I was preaching, but I was, going, I was, I was doing both. God said, it's full-time. It's time for full-time. So I got there, got to that place, decided I'd go call the principal of the school in Aden, and I went and called him, and I said, I, I need to be released from my contract for this coming year. I really hate to do this. I hate to ask you this at this last minute. I'm sorry to put you in this bind. But I just don't feel like I can fulfill my contract. He wanted to know why. I said, well, you know that I'm a preacher. You know that. You've, I've been there with you half a year, and and, and I just feel like God has spoken to me and told me I need to be preaching full time. I don't know what level of Christian he was or if he was, but he said, oh, I understand. And I congratulate you on that. I said, if you can't find anybody, call me. He said, all right. But he didn't. Found somebody. So here I am now. The only income I have is what comes in from preaching revivals. Week to week, step by step hand to mouth or whatever you want to call it. And so I'm out preaching revivals now because God spoke to me and told me to do it. I knew he did. But after a while, as I continued on, I, I, I followed the Lord and I believed God and I prayed. I will be honest and tell you, I earnestly prayed. I prayed, God, give me enough to make the payments on this car I just bought. When I was getting money for teaching school, I knew I could do it, especially if I preached a little bit on the side. I knew I could make the payments. But now, help me make these payments. Help me to do this. Help me to do that. Help me to, help me to make it through the night. <laughs> Provide for me, Lord, because you said you would. So I'm going on on this, and I get invited to a church, and this is over a period of time now. It wasn't the very next thing that happened. Over a period of time. There's a little church in Sherraw, South Carolina, C-H-E-R-A-W. If you've never been there, you should go. It's easy to find. It's right next to Bamberg, South Carolina. <laughs> not, too far from, not too far from Lucky Strike. It's, it's right in that area right there in South Carolina. 
And so I, I had been to, uh, I went to Sherrill, South Carolina for revivals three different times. In the church I was in, they had a Pentecostal revival every year. At, uh, at during Pentecost, the, during uh, 50 days, they'd emphasize Pentecost. The last week, the last week of the week leading up to the Pentecost Sunday, they encouraged every church in that denomination to have a revival going on. So every, every evangelist and every itinerant preacher had a place to preach that week, at least, if they didn't have anything else. Well, I had places to preach, but I was having invitations all the time. I never suffered from lacking. Uh, my problem was finding some time to take off. I was really, really busy because God was blessing me, and God was helping me, and God was giving me good revival. We were being saved and baptized in the Spirit. So I went to this little church in Sherrall, South Carolina. The pastor's name there was William Welch. I can't remember the name of the person I'm going to talk about right now. I wish I could remember her name. I'd rather remember her name than anybody else's, and I'm going to tell you why. The preaching of that revival, when I started, we started on a Sunday night, and we're going to go every night of the week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, two services on Sunday again. We didn't take time off in those days. We didn't think about what we need to do to be comfortable. We, uh-oh, we can't miss the TV series or or. Well, we've got to go to Grandma's house and have cake with her. When it was revival time, it was revival time, and you went to revival. That's what you did if you were saved. If you weren't saved, they'd drag you and bring you up and pull you in there anyway. But if you were saved, you went to revival when they had a revival. If you didn't go, you weren't saved. And that's what they believed and said. I'm not saying that was true. But that's about the way it was. You had to go. When we had it, you went. Everybody in church went to the revival. So the people were coming on Sunday night. They started, there was a full church. It wasn't a big church. They probably see 200 people, maybe. Maybe not. And, 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 but it was full. And on the first Sunday night, people started getting up, and I'd give the altar call. I'd get up and hand it, get to the altar. People started getting saved, getting baptized in the Spirit. Next night, same thing, God doing great things. And then one day, I don't know what day it was, the week it was. It might have been Monday or Tuesday, but... The pastor said, we need to go out and visit some of the people. Now, this was something else we did in those days we don't do now. But we need to go visit some of the people. I know I think, why do we need to go visit people? They're coming to church. They're getting saved. They're getting baptized. Why do we need to go out and hang around with some people? Well, I don't know. But he said, come on. So I was the subordinate. And I went with him. We went to this couple of visits. And we went to this woman's house out in the country. And described this as literally as I can. Went out in this one's house, and it was wash day. We drove up in the country yard. It wasn't nice St. Augustine grass with the sprinklers just cut off. It was just a bare old piece of ground, hard ground. And out there on the ground, there was a black wash pot with a fire under it. Can anybody imagine why they had that? That's the way they washed clothes. You had the hot water in the in the in the uh, Wash pot, I guess they called it. Uh, and they stir the and, and, and get the clothes clean. Some of you remember that. And and in this case, some of it had already been done. They'd take them out and rinse them out and then wring it out and then hang them on the line to dry. And I know you were thinking, well, why didn't they just put them in the dryer? <laughs> if you just said... Where's your dryer to them? They said, there it is. That's the, that line up there, that clothesline. That's, that's the dryer. So there's sheets flapping in the windows, underwear flopping every direction. There's dungarees and overalls and everything 
hanging up on the line, and we walk out there, and here's this precious woman, and the pop it all off. She's washing. No wonder she had so much hanging on the line. The woman had nine kids. And so he, he introduced me, and of course she knew me, had, and, and that guy, she'd been coming to the revival. So he, he did, all that stuff didn't keep her from coming to the revival. I keep coming back to that. I want to let you all know just how things are different now. If we had, if we had a one-week revival here, some folks would decide which night to come. <laughs> there you didn't decide which night to come. You also didn't decide which night you wouldn't come. You just came. So there we are, out in the out in the in the backyard of the house, and the, the pot's boiling, and the clothes are waving in the wind, and, and the woman is speaking to us just so nice and so pleasantly. She says, "Oh, brother, brother Welch, so glad you came. I'm so glad you brought Brother Register with you." She says, at the end of the conversation, she starts to say, "Well, you know, I've been kind of wanting to talk to you a little bit because I want to tell you something that happened to me. We've had such a wonderful revival." So many people getting saved. So many people being baptized in the Spirit. We're having such a wonderful revival. And I just want to tell you what God spoke to me. These are, these are her words. She said, God told me back about Easter, when you started announcing that Brother Register was coming and preaching for us in this revival, God laid it on my heart to fast and pray. And the Lord told me that if I would fast and pray every Friday from Easter to Pentecost, Maybe this is why those 50 days always affect me so much. I don't know, but I think it's a part of it. She said, God told me if I would fast and pray every Friday from Easter to Pentecost, he'd send revival to our church. Now, why were we having revival? And I will tell you, it didn't make that much of an impact on me that day. But later, as I thought about it, over the years that I've thought about it, I know. The reason a great revival was poured out in Sheraw, South Carolina, I know, not because Bill Register was the evangelist. I might have thought it was at that time. I might have thought, well, I finally found the formula for revival. Look what's happening. But if anybody said what that formula is, I would say, I don't know, it's just working. I didn't know. But as I thought about it more and more, I realized the power of what that woman said. This woman, he didn't pick somebody that would be easy to do that. He picked a woman with nine kids. And you know, when you prepared meals in those days, here's another shocker. You didn't go down to Publix or Windex and pick something up and come out and just warm it up. Because it wasn't there. You got it out of the fields, you cleaned it up, you peeled it off and tried to cook it so it would get enough of it to feed nine kids. This, this is the woman he picked to fast and pray. But she said in that conversation... Brother, Pastor, I am so glad I did that because I see the results now of what God is doing. And I want to tell you this, my friends. You'll see things happen that you think just started, just happened. Just could, no, when you see the miraculous of God, when you see the power of God, every time you see it is because somebody prayed. Somebody prayed. When the time came to pray, they laid aside everything else. They fasted as God directed them. They fell on their knees before God, and they prayed. And when somebody prays, God answers. God brings the results. God brings the miracles. God brings the revival. That's why we're not going to give up praying. We're not going to stop. Hallelujah. We're not going to stop. 
I remember Sheraw, South Carolina. I've wanted many times just to drive through that little town. I don't know if that church is bought or not still there. It doesn't matter. Just to drive through it because that place, as I've thought about it over the years, has been made such an impact on my own thinking that, that it doesn't matter who it is. I would have never known about it except that it happened the woman I was there to visit and the woman told us about it. Just in a light conversation. She wasn't taking credit for it. She just was praising God for it. And then I I remembered and it was time for me to be saved. It was time. I didn't know it was time, but it was time for me to be saved. There comes a time when it's your time to be saved. There comes a time. There comes a time when it's your time to be baptized in the Spirit. There comes a time when it's your time to get the victory with God that you've never had, that you've been seeking and praying for. It's time. It comes. That time comes. It was my time to get saved, and I didn't know it. I went to vacation Bible school that summer. I didn't have anything else to do. My mother had gotten saved, and she was talking to me about coming to church and encouraging me to come. And I was just going to Sunday school, getting up and leaving, never staying for church. But and somehow they prevailed, prevailed on me to come to vacation Bible school, and I did again. I said I didn't have anything else to do in my mid-teens. And, and uh, so I went to vacation Bible school, and I, I well remember, this is important to let you know the whole story. In, in, the, in one of the times in vacation Bible school, the teacher, the leader, said, let's everybody quote a favorite Bible verse. And oh, I got... I didn't have any favorite Bible verse because I didn't have any Bible verse. I didn't even know John 3.16. I didn't know any. But as it went around and it was getting closer and closer to me, I remembered it. That's something I'd heard. By the time it got to me, I said, she said, Billy, what's your favorite verse? I said, isn't there a verse that says Jesus wept? And she said, yes, there is. I said, that's my favorite. <laughs> it's also the only one I know. But that's my favorite. So, kids were observing all this. They had been with me in Sunday school. They heard me there. And then I'll shorten this a little bit. I got to the place in that God led me to the church, to that church on a Sunday night for a combination of events that God always does. Puts together some intricate plan that you don't know why. When you look back on it, you see what God was doing. God got me to church. The first time I'd ever been to church on a Sunday night in my life. I walked in and sat down in the church that Sunday night because I wanted to hear the preacher preach the message he was planning to preach. He announced his message, and I wanted to hear it. Not that it mattered to me, but I didn't know anything about it. It just God used my curiosity. Brought me in there. After he preached, I got up. I couldn't wait to get into the place of prayer to fall down on my knees and weeping and sobbing and crying out. I gave my heart to God. And God just did wonderful, marvelous things for me in my life. And it wasn't because I'd ever prayed. It wasn't because I'd ever said a prayer. I'd never prayed. If I'd ever prayed in my life, at that point, I don't remember it. I may have prayed when there was a group prayer, and the leader said, everybody pray, and pray after me or something like that. But I don't ever remember saying a prayer in my life up until that point in time on that Sunday night, August the 6th. I went in that prayer room and fell down on my knees before God. God changed my life. Wonderfully, miraculously changed my life. Now I know my mother was praying for me. I know I found out later my Sunday school teacher was praying for me. When I fell on my knees to pray that night, one of the first persons that got to my side was my Sunday school teacher. Her name was Mrs. Best. Fell down beside me and not prayed, but and Carolyn doesn't like me to tell this part, but 
I was weeping and sobbing so much. They didn't have Kleenexes, you know, they provide Kleenexes in the church. Maybe somebody hand me a handkerchief and I'd fill it up and pass it on. <laughs> they hand me another one. I, I don't know how many people lost their handkerchiefs that night. I know if it had been me, I'd just throw them away. I wouldn't have watched them Anyway, so, I, so God really, really changed my life and made me a different person. And I say this in all humility. I am here standing before you today because somebody prayed. Not because I prayed, because somebody prayed for me. A little while after I'd, given, I'd been saved, maybe within the next couple of three weeks, I got a call from, from one of the young people in the youth group there. It was a young, young girl. And she, she said, we were, that we're so glad that you got saved the other night. And I said, well, I am too. She said, uh, we want you to be a part of everything. I'm not all talking. And then she said, and I also want you to know that uh, that uh, when we, we saw, as you, uh, we met you and saw you and became better acquainted with you, we knew you needed to be saved. You didn't take a whole lot of discernment to know that I needed to be saved. They had heard me in vacation Bible school. didn't know anything. They would heard me in Sunday school. I didn't know anything there either. And they knew I didn't know anything about God. I mean, when you start talking about it, you know somebody doesn't know anything about it. And they knew I didn't. But they prayed for me. This is what she said. She said, we decided at that time that you needed to be saved. And so we, some of us just joined together and agreed that we would pray for you. And we've been praying for you ever since that time. And once in a while, we'll go around and say to each other, are you still praying for Billy Register?" And we'd all say, yes, we are. And she said, I just wanted you to know that, that we wanted you to be saved, and that's that we prayed for you. Now, friend, that is a powerful, powerful thing. I'm, I'm, I, I do believe this with all my heart. I believe I'm saved today, lived my life for the kingdom, for Jesus and his kingdom, because somebody prayed. Somebody cared enough not because I was a relative or even a friend, but somebody cared enough because they saw that I needed God. And they prayed for me to come to Jesus. And I did. And I did. And it made all the difference. All the difference. I have a whole family that now it's, a, it's made a difference because people prayed me into the kingdom. My wife, my children, my grandchildren, they're all affected, and many others as well, many others affected. Because somebody prayed me into the kingdom. And I say to you today that things will happen when somebody prays. That person needs to be you and me. We need to come to God in prayer and believe God to answer prayer. If you believe that and agree with me, stand up right now, please. I saw my time slipping away, so believe it or not, I did abbreviate some of this when I saw that. 